the alarm's still going. <laughs> All right, so we've come to one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament uh, tonight, and it's, I feel like I'm really far away. I'm going to, hopefully this isn't too, too close for the, uh, it looks like it's still good. Um, one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament, and uh, so if you would, open up to 1 Kings. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Kings 17. I'm going to have to mute this. I think it might just be... Um, first Kings 17. So as I mentioned, we're, we've now gone into the second main section of the story known as first and second Kings, or you could just call it the story of Kings. Um, Hey babe, can you mute your phone? There, there we go. She's the only one on there. Um, she stayed at home. We, we, uh, we just moved yesterday. We spent our first night in our new home. Uh, last night, and everybody was everybody was wiped out, so they're all sunburned and exhausted. Um, all right, so we're in the we're in the middle section of this story of kings, and this middle section is really uh, dominated by uh, the story of the prophets, some of the great prophets. Um, most of the major prophets prophesied during the period of the kings, right, um, and so. When we, when we look at the story of Elijah, we're looking at the story of really the quintessential prophet. All right. You, you've probably heard of the three offices of the Old Testament that Jesus comes to fulfill, a priest, king, and prophet. And that sort of follows the storyline of the Old Testament. There, there are priests in the days of Moses in the wilderness. There, then it transfers to a kingdom. And now the story of the kings begins to give way to the story of the prophets. All right, and the prophets become the ones that really carry forward the word and the will and the purposes of God. Right? The kings begin to go astray. The kingdom is divided. And the, the men who are standing and holding on to the purposes of God are the prophets. And so that's why the story shifts to the perspective of the prophets for, for a large part of uh, kings here. It's because that's where the actual... Uh, followers of God, that's where they are to be found. And so Jesus comes, he's a priest. Um, He comes to uh, offer himself as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. He offers his own blood to provide a way into the Holy of Holies. He comes as a king, obviously. His, His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is enthroned on the earth. He's enthroned on the cross. And above his head is written, the king of the Jews. But he truly is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah. But he is also, in many ways, a prophet. And his ministry is prophetic. And so a lot of these types of the prophetic ministry of Jesus begin to show up here with Elijah and then some of the other major prophets. Um, one of the titles of Jesus, the Son of Man, It's really a prophetic title. It's what Ezekiel refers to himself as. Um, You'll see a lot of... So Jesus refers to Elijah quite a bit. Um, If you remember, 
there on the during Jesus's transfiguration, he's visited by two people. One is Moses and one is Elijah. That's a kind of a type of the law and the prophets. So Elijah is the quintessential prophet. Some people, there's rumors going around during Jesus's ministry about who he is. He says, who do people say that I am? They say, some people say, you're Elijah. And one big reason for that was because according to the Old Testament, Elijah never died. He just got taken into heaven. And so they said, hey, Elijah has come back. Um, he also, uh, John the Baptist is also called Elijah. Um, he goes uh, before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. So all of this to say that Elijah, his, his prophetic ministry, Elijah as a prophet, casts a very long shadow into the New Testament. And um, so th- this is just like David is sort of the king. Elijah is the prophet. Okay. Just like Moses is the lawgiver. Elijah is the prophet. Okay. So what I want to do tonight is basically walk through this story, the early story of Elijah up to the calling of his calling of Elisha. And um, just look at how God uses him and deals with him. Uh, I'll say this right up front. His life reflects and, and uh, echoes in a lot of ways the life of Moses and the ministry of Moses. Um, when Moses was coming to the end, uh, uh, he said that the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. And Elijah certainly fulfilled that. So he is a type of Moses in the past, and he's a type of Jesus in the future. All right, so that's just kind of some introductory stuff on Elijah as a prophet. So let's walk through the story. Um, there's, there's really four phases here of his life. And the first one is, you know, he, he bursts on the scene. A lot of prophets have a backstory, you know, how they were called, um, how they were chosen as a prophet. But Elijah, it just says in verse 17, or chapter 17, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, so right off, he's, you don't hear anything before this, and then all of a sudden he's prophesying to Ahab. Now let me say something about Ahab. If you back up in chapter 16 to verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, now remember, the kingdom is divided between Judah and Israel at this point. Asa was actually a good king. I think he's the second king after Rehoboam in Judah. And his reign was 40 I think over 40 years long, 41 years, which is even more than Solomon or David. All right, so Asa has a good, uh, it says he he did well. There was one thing he didn't do, but for the most part, he was good, which is a rare thing for God to say about one of the kings. There have been, um, I think, five kings during the reign of Asa in Israel. And Ahab is the fifth of those. Correct me if I'm wrong. On five. Don't don't uh, don't hold me to that number five. But you have um, you have Jeroboam, Nadab, Baasha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, and then Ahab. So he's the seventh king in just that one stretch. Omri is the father of Ahab. And it's the Omri dynasty that really takes up the middle portion, uh, particularly Ahab, that takes up the middle portion of the story of kings. 
So, uh, verse 29. In the 38th year of King Asa of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria. Okay, and that's important. This is where the Jews believe Samaritans came from. Okay? Ahab made the capital of Israel into Samaria. And so that's why one of the reasons why in the New Testament you, you run into the Jews really don't like the Samaritans. All right? They are part of the northern tribe. They're part of the Ahab people. All right? Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So, so far, there's been a lot of bad kings. Already, there's been a lot of bad kings. But he did worse than all of them. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he took for his wife Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, and he built, uh, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. All right? A bad dude. He brings into the nation of Israel Baal worship, okay? And Elijah then is called to come and prophesy. And Elijah's primary conflict is with Ahab and Jezebel and their worship of Baal. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, and he prophesies this famine, okay, uh, which is mentioned in the book of James. He says, Elijah was a man like we are, and he prophesied and it didn't rain for three years. Uh, the power of prayer when, when the Lord is working through you. So he prophesies this drought, and then it says, The word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So this first phase of Elijah's life, he has this early ministry, he prophesied to Ahab, but then God sends him into the wilderness. And God does this with a lot of his primary guys. Right? He will, they'll begin a ministry, but there's a lot of work that he has to do with them, so he sends them out into the wilderness. He did this with Moses, right? Moses kind of had his first hurrah in Egypt, rose up and slew the Egyptian, but God says, no, this, that's not how it's going to happen 40 years in the wilderness. Um, after Paul was called, Paul kind of was initially on fire and, and started to preach, but then he went into the wilderness for, I forget how long. How long was it? Do you remember? It's like three years or so. It's about three years. Um, John the Baptist kind of emerges from the wilderness proclaiming his... So God deals with his, his people in the wilderness. He sent Jesus himself out into the wilderness for 40 days before he began his ministry. So God sends Elijah out into the wilderness. And so he's training him. So the first, the first phase of Elijah's life is training. All right, And listen to how God trains him. Um, where am I? Okay, so this story kind of follows uh, kind of a cycle. It's got, it keeps saying the same thing, but in different ways. So first of all, it says, the word of the Lord came to him, 
and he gave him instructions. And then it says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And then God followed through on his promise. So he said, go live by the brook. I will feed you with ravens. Elijah did it and God came through. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath. So first go and you'll be fed by ravens. And then he says, okay, from there now go and meet this widow. And then she's going to feed you. All right, so he's teaching him how to obey and how to follow uh, his, his word. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And he came to the gate. And behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now remember, this is during a drought. There's not a lot of food. What is Elijah doing out here? Jesus points to the fact that, hey, during this drought, God could have sent Elijah anywhere, but he sent him to a widow in Zarephath. She's a Gentile. Elijah is doing, and very often you'll see, the prophets. We're going to talk more about uh, a pr- the prophecy in general, not necessarily the prophecy, but what what the prophet, the office of a prophet is. But very often, what a prophet does is just as important to what they proclaim. Okay, God will take take a prophet and say, "Do this thing," and that thing is the message, right? And he, there's some crazy things that God has prophets do, and it's symbolic. Right, he has. Is it Ezekiel lay on his right side for days and days and days? Okay, that's the that's the message. Um, he has him do all sorts of strange things. Well, here he has Elijah go out into the wilderness and find a Gentile widow during a drought and feed her. What's going on here? What's the message that God is sending? The kings of Israel have totally lost their way. The king is supposed to be the channel of blessing to God's people and through God's people to the nations, right? We've seen this. This is what God, this is what God's intention always was. This is what his promise to Abraham was. This is what the kings of Israel are supposed to be doing, channeling the blessing and provision of God as the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of life. Baal doesn't give the crops. Yahweh brings provision, okay? And when, when the man of God prays to Yahweh to shut up the heavens, the heavens are shut up no matter how much you pray to Baal. So God has shut the heavens up and he has sent Elijah to a widow and said, so you go minister to her. So he is in this very act, he is prophesying to the king, I'm doing your job for you. <laughs> this widow should have been contacted by a member of the court and given some sort of provision from Yahweh. But instead, she's out here. Nobody knows who she is. And I wouldn't have known her except the word of God had to directly come to me and say, go to this widow. And Jesus points to this in Luke 4. And he says, Elijah could have gone anywhere, but God sent him to the Gentiles. And they got so mad at him. Why? Because he's saying, you all are no better than the house of Ahab. You're just like the house of Ahab. Everybody knew God had to send Elijah to that because the house of Israel had lost their way. Well, there with the, with the the Pharisees, he's saying, hey, listen, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he goes to the widow and um, he says, you'll be fed by this widow. She doesn't really have anything except the last morsel that she's going to prepare for her and her son before they die. And then he says, listen, you make me this. You, you obey the voice of the Lord and watch his miraculous provision come forth. So he does it, Elijah does it, and receives the miraculous provision of God 
Then he is sent to a widow and he invites her to obey the word of the Lord and witness the miraculous provision of God. Okay, So you see this kind of sequence of training. Finally, he's there with her and the son of the widow dies. And God doesn't say anything here. He doesn't give a command. All that happens is the son dies and it says, and he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why uh, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? He says, we're here to minister to her, to show her what God is really like. And you've let her son die. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And now we have the Lord listen to the voice of Elijah. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elijah obeyed. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elijah obeyed. Elijah intercedes based on what he knows of God and the, and the word of Elijah came to the Lord and then the Lord moved. You see that? That's an awesome picture of as you grow in obedience, as you walk with God, you come to the place where you can pray and intercede according to the will of God and it is done for you. But it's after you've learned how to obey the, the word of the Lord and be shaped by it, formed by it. Amen? The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. See, your son lives. The woman has all sorts of questions about why is, why is this tragic? Why is this happening to me? Why did my son die? And Elijah doesn't answer any of those questions. He just delivers a resurrected son to her, which is awesome. See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. All right? After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So now Elijah is ready. Right? He has participated prophets work miracles. That's one of the that's one of the marks of a prophet works miracles according to the word of God. They bear the word of God and they move in power according to the will of God. And she says, now I know that you're a man of God. And at this point, his training is really complete. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Okay. Um, this begins like all the other directives. The word of the Lord said, go to the brook and be fed by ravens. The word of the Lord came and said, go to the widow. And the word of the Lord came and said, go confront Ahab. Right? But the scale is much more massive at this point. The implications are huge. But the dynamic is exactly the same. The word of the Lord came. Hey, I have a job for you. Hey, I have a word for you. All right? And Elijah was now ready to participate in a public ministry that had huge national implications because he's listened to the voice of God in a small thing and then a little bit larger thing and then a bigger thing and then God began to listen to him and now he's able to be sent. But Elijah's, and, and this is like kind of Elijah's shining moment. Like when we remember Elijah, this is one of the most incredible things any human has ever done, I think. This showdown with the prophets of Baal. 
But it began like any other small act of obedience, like any other small instruction that God gave him. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, do this. And I think there's a lesson for us there that the word of the Lord is going to come to you in a lot of different ways for some small things. And as you begin to obey and then watch the word of the Lord come true, watch him provide for you, you're going to find yourself being sent to do greater and greater things. So Elijah went, right? And he didn't, you know, he didn't have in his mind, all right, here it comes. Here's the, here's the grand moment. To him, this is how he walks with God. This is how he lives his life. The word of the Lord comes to him and he does what the word says. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. All right. So he gets to Ahab. Go down to verse 20. Or verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, troubler of Israel? I, I, lo- I love that. Ahab was just seething angry at Elijah. This is the guy who has caused the drought in Ahab's mind. Is it you, troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent, and he gathered all the people and the prophets at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, now this is, this is one of the things a prophet does. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. At this point, idolatry has torn the kingdom in two. It has wreaked havoc on the people of God. It has paralyzed the kings from being who they need to be. And in this moment, idolatry is about to get its due. So Elijah the prophet comes, and he... This is, this is what a prophet does. Prophets divide human activity into, into polarities, okay? They say, this is black and white, okay? We don't live in this middle ground where, hey, you know, if you want to kind of do this, that's great. A prophet comes and says, this is right and this is wrong. And you, there's no middle, you can't, you got to get off the fence. How long will you go limping between two opinions? You're called the people of Israel, Yahweh's chosen people, but your heart goes after Baal, and when the, when the rain stops, you cry out to Baal. Why is that? How long are you going to go on limping between two different opinions? This is a divided heart. You can't know God if your heart is divided. And the people did not answer him a word. They didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say to that? This guy comes and... Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. We'll come back to that. That's important in, in Elijah's story. So he says... Let's do this thing. All right, let's get altars. 
All right, you prepare a sacrifice. I'm going to prepare a sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire is God. How awesome is that? How prophetic is that? Let's see which God answers by fire. Okay, you can call upon your God all you want. You can say all the things you want about Baal, go, conduct all the superstitious activities, but here's what it comes down to. Does he answer you when you call? Let's find out. So they prepare these two altars, and Elijah... So. It's really funny. I mean, this is one of the funnier parts of the Old Testament. The prophets of Baal, it's, it's very satirical here, right? Elijah just kind of stands back and watches. And they're doing their thing. And it involved even like self-mutilation and cutting their, crying out to Baal, answer us. And Elijah, and at noon it says, Elijah mocked them saying, cry loud, <laughs> louder. Come on, let's hear it. For he is a God. Either he is musing or, you know, maybe he's in the library reading books or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey. Maybe he took a day trip to Ikea or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their, after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the offer, time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's just profound. You can... You can Pour out your blood to an idol all you want. You can revere it. You can be absolutely sold out for this idol. And it doesn't hear a thing. It doesn't even know what you're doing. Now think about this. Idolatry. We've talked about idolatry several times since we started our trip through the Old Testament. What is idolatry? It's taking something that God has created and basically turning your devotion toward that thing rather than the God that created that thing. And it can happen in all sorts of forms. In the ancient world, it might have been the sun or the moon or, or nature. In the, in the more modern world, it's our own pleasures, our own uh, or, or just man-made stuff, materialism. But whatever it is, it's an idol. It's something that God created for one purpose that we have made the entire purpose of life. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. Now, this is a drought. Water is like gold at this point. And he says, pour it out. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. 
and they did it a third time. This is getting to be a pretty costly offering. The water ran round the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, now he, he calls upon Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The God who has a covenant with a guy and is faithful to that covenant. He doesn't say, O Lord, God of the fire of heaven. He says, O Lord, the guy who said that you do something to Abraham and you always do what you said you were going to do. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, which is what they had been crying out to Baal. Answer us, Baal, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. That's it. That's the, that is the truth that Israel had gone completely astray for, that Yahweh alone is God. This is the heart of the Torah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he alone is God. There's one God. That this people would know and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. It, it, it consumed everything. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. <sighs> finally. Right? Idolatry has been the thorn in Israel's side the whole time. And there's finally a, a man of God who rises up. This is like Phineas who comes and he finally just puts an end to it. And then chapter 19 comes. Well, then, then the rain falls, all right? But then chapter 19 comes, and Jezebel sends a messenger to, to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Verse 3 is, is baffling to me. Then he was afraid and ran for his life. Is this the same guy? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he just, the God just answered him with fire. And he just went and slew the prophets of Baal. I mean, nothing can stop this guy. And then Jezebel says, well, I'm going to get you. And he's afraid for his life and he runs. What's going on here? This is where I think the life of Elijah really starts to look like Moses's. Okay, He ran this mighty victory. Signature victory, right? This is like a, a blowout victory. And Ahab is pretty much unfazed. The whole point of this was to get the king of Israel to live like the king of Israel like he needed to. And Ahab just kind of goes, eh. He goes, he runs back to Jezebel. And she's doing her thing. So, 
Elijah has a crisis. He's in full-on crisis mode. What is going to, what is the point of all this, right? Look what he just did. And the leader of Israel is, is unfazed. And so he's afraid for his life. And it's probably because, wow, if that doesn't work, nothing's going to work. All right, now there's this key phrase that he said during that whole thing. He said, I, even I only. Now, if that's true, if that were true, I would understand Elijah's dismay and his fear. Because, hey, if I just poured everything I have into this mighty victory and nothing really happens. I mean, I got rid of the prophets of Baal, but, but no lasting change has happened. No repentance has happened especially in the king's heart, no repentance has happened, then I'm, there's nothing else that can be done. And I'm, I'm through. He went by himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. We went from, we went from Mount Carmel and slaughtering the prophets to sitting under a tree by himself wanting to die. In very little time. And so he has this crisis. And this really begins the third phase of his ministry. So we've had his early ministry and his training, then his his public victory and his his really mighty his signature win. And then he goes into crisis mode. But in the wilderness here, he has this encounter with God, and it's an amazing encounter with God. Is it, a, it is enough now, O Lord, take, me, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and listened. Did you catch this? Behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. That's what the ravens gave him. That's what the widow gave him. Right? Oh, yeah. This is where we started. This is the God that I know. The God that I know is the God who answers by fire. But more than that, he's the God who I just walk with every day. And he tells me what to do and I do it. And he provides for me. So God says, come on, come on. Let's, yes, I just answered by fire. But what is the essence of what we're doing here? Behold, there was a, had his head a cake baked on the hot stones and a jar of water. And then God has this, he kind of has to reset Elijah, right? Arise and eat. The journey is true great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Horeb is Mount Sinai. And so here he is. Here, here is Moses heading to Mount Sinai to see the glory of God. And he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, and left... And they seek my life to take it away. 
So Elijah pours out, a, we see what, what's going on. This is a crisis. What else can I do? And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. This is just like Exodus uh, when Moses asked to see his glory. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Now this is the God who answered by fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. That's the, that's the voice that I know. That's the voice that I know. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. And the sound of a low whisper, Elijah goes, oh, he's here, right? The wind came, the earthquake came, the fire came. That's not God. And then this low whisper comes. And he says, oh, he's here. And, Elijah, and, uh, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This double question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah pours out his heart. And then God reveals to him. In, and I, I think it's an intimate way. And then he says, no, 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 come here, come here. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the people of Israel. And he says the same thing. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who, uh, verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. So what did, he re- what did he reveal to him? He revealed to him, Elijah, you're not the only one. <laughs> and I've had a plan the whole time. And that was it. That was the thing that Elijah needed to understand. He went out and, and did one of the most amazing things that any human has ever done. One of the most amazing displays of prophetic power and miraculous power. And God says, yeah, but that's not what we need. That's not going to, that's not going to save the day. That's what, that's what Ahab needed to see. And he's not going to listen, right? This is the same God that sent his son to people and perform signs. And they still didn't believe, right? They kept asking for signs. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. You don't believe signs. The Jews seek signs, okay? And he said, listen, I, gave him the, I, I just gave you the greatest sign of all. But listen, this is much bigger than that, all right? That was not, that was not the end of, the, the end of days. We have a long way to go and a lot of stuff to accomplish. And so Elijah, you're not the savior, but you are a guy who's doing what I tell him right now, and I have some more things for you to do. You want to do those things. And then he enters this next phase of his life. He departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. 
And Elijah passed him and cast his cloak upon him. And so the last phase of Elijah's life is really about mentorship and succession, passing on the gift. And as you read through the this rest of the story of Elisha, you'll find out that Elisha ends up with a double portion of Elijah's ministry. So I don't think Elijah was mistaken in his despair, right? But he had one thing wrong. His premise was wrong, that he, he only was left. But God reveals, I think, two main things to, to Elijah to correct him and to really bring him to a place of deeper brokenness and humility before God. And the first thing was, he revealed, God revealed to Elijah a proper perspective of just how sovereign God really is, how in control he is. That when the nation of Israel divides and spirals out of control, when Jezebel brings in the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and when everything's overrun with idolatry, God's still in control. God already has a strategy in place, right? He mentions Jehu's going to judge Ahab. He has already got a guy in place to execute judgment on Ahab. He already knows what he thinks about Ahab. And he says, Elijah, just you go tap the guy and he's going to carry on the work. And he also has a strategy for the prophetic voice to continue, right? He has Elisha. And not only that, but this, this is the beginning of a prophetic movement you'll see through 2 Kings. These sons of prophets emerge and, and they become, Elijah's not the only one. And he never has been the only one. And the prophetic voice is just beginning to go louder and louder and louder. All right? Have you like a third of the Bible is the writings of prophets that prophesied during this time. So Elijah was not the only one. He doesn't even get his own book. Right? There's, there are coming prophets who write big, thick books <laughs> for lots of kings. Elijah, you go... And you just pass on what I gave to you. You pass it on to someone else and you send them into the future. So he gives Elijah a proper perspective of how God does still have a plan. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And number two, that it's a longer view. He, get, he, he says, Elijah, I'm in control and this thing's far from over. He gives him a longer view of God's plan for redeeming Israel, which really means judging Israel, sending him into captivity, then bringing him back, then sending the Messiah. God basically tells Elijah, he doesn't address his questions and he doesn't address his concerns. He just gives him something further to do. But God is basically telling Elijah that this didn't start with you and it's not ending with you. All right, you have your spot. You have an Elijah-shaped purpose, an Elijah-shaped ministry And your job is just to fulfill that ministry. You do your part in obedience and faith, and you move the purpose one step forward. In the Old Testament, it says of David that he served the purpose of God in his generation, that he slept with his fathers. And God's basically telling Elijah, listen, serve the purpose of God in your generation, then sleep with your fathers. And I'm continuing this for long after you're gone. So the final phase of his life centers around passing it on. Elijah's signature victory came at an early stage in his life. And it really isn't the defining, once you read toward the end of the story, 
Elijah's greatest accomplishment was discipling Elisha and sending him forward. Because then around Elisha, there's, there emerges these sons of prophets. It's really kind of a school of prophetic ministry. And then the prophetic movement begins to grow and grow and grow. At the end of his ministry, like I said, he pours out a double portion of his anointing on Elisha. And so the lesson here for this latter stage of his life is Elijah was focusing on the high points of his own ministry, okay? And the lesson here is do not focus on the high points of your own ministry and make them the measuring stick of success. All right? It would really be, if, if we did that, and I, I think we can relate to this, right? Anyone who's ever been on fire at a certain point of your life and then kind of gotten off of that, you know what I'm talking about. Wow, I wish I, man, I remember that those few months or that summer back in whenever, depending on how old you are, man, I was just on fire. I couldn't get enough scripture. I, you didn't have to tell me to pray. I was just always praying. You didn't have to tell me to share the gospel. I was just so interested in the state of people's souls as I walked around. And I don't know what happened. There must have been a fluke or I must be, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to go over here and under my broom tree and hope to die. We get to these phases of our life. And what we need is not God to come and pat us on the back and say, no, you did a really good job. We need him to, to pull, pull back, zoom out for us, and say, listen, the purpose of life is not you accomplishing something big for God. Your purpose is to serve my purpose in your generation and then be content with that. So don't focus on your own high points. Instead, pour your life out into someone else who can be twice as good as you, who will go twice as far as you. And this is the key of discipleship. This is why Jesus sought out 12 guys In the three years that Jesus had, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. All right, Jesus, you have three years to build a ministry. Go. He picks 12 guys, doofuses, and sticks with them for three years. They still don't get it until he's like on his way out. No, they don't get it even then. He, He leaves, and they still haven't gotten it. And then he pours out his Holy Spirit, and they finally understand But he told them, listen, greater things than these will you do because I'm going away. Even Jesus served the purpose of God in his brief time on earth, then ascended to the Father's right side. And what was left was what he had poured into those guys. So this is the whole idea of discipleship. God is not looking to raise up people who can go do great things for him. We very well may be called to do a great thing for God. Public ministry, right? But that's no different than any other act of obedience that God will ever give you, right? And it's going to start and end just the same way. And if you focus on that big, that big moment, you're going to miss what your life is really about. It's about obeying God and pouring your life out into other people who can then go obey God and pour their life out 
into other people. God's way bigger than us. He started way before we were here. He's going to keep going much longer <laughs> than we're alive. We have this brief time. That's why the psalmist says, teach me to number my days so I can get a heart of wisdom. I want to know how to live life now according to the will of God. And to do that, I need to really see how brief my time really is and how small it is compared to the eternal purposes of God. All right, so I love Elijah's life. God brings him to a place. He, I mean, he launches him into ministry. He, like this, this training is going on. All right, good progression. Now, boom, Ahab. And then it just crashes and burns for Elijah. And that's where God really begins to reveal who he is. He's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He's in the little cake of bread. Or he's in the still small voice, right? It's just walking with the father, responding to his voice. And that'll lead you to Mount Carmel. It'll also lead you to the creek to be fed by ravens, right? It's all in response to the word of God. All right, so I wanted to do communion tonight uh, at the end because Jesus said, I have a meal that I want to share with you. And this is where you draw your life from. This is real food. This is real drink. Draw your life from me. He sent out his disciples at one point and they went and did miracles and cast out demons. They said, whoa, hey, even the demons are obeying us. And he goes, okay, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that you get to walk with the Father. You get to walk with me as I walk with the Father. And so we are to rejoice and make the measure of success the extent to which we walk with God and know God. The measure of success is not the grandeur or the scale of our impact. The measure of our walk with God is eating those cakes and the water that he's provided for us and just continuing to do that. And so he poured out his, his body and his blood, right? Cakes and water to fill us and to, to make us into what we need to be. Um, so I want to call us to eat this meal. And in, in coming forward, I want us to eat a meal in remembrance of him. Okay, in remembrance of what he did in history, but also in remembrance of your walk with him. When did you first receive from God? Do you remember when you first had, a, had, a, had an awareness of God's provision in your life? that time when he sent you out and you were beginning to learn how to trust him and receive from him. Let's remember that tonight as we come. Does that make sense? What I'm, what I'm... God reminded Elijah with that cake and the water where he came from. Hey, you came from the wilderness. You came from that widow's house. That's who we are. That's what life is about. And so I want God to remind us, hey, you came from, and we, we each have a place where God has, has met us and fed us. Uh, we each have a place. And so I want to call us forward to remember that uh, tonight. Amen.